Fire for the hills, pick up your feet and let's go. Ahead for the hills, pick up steel on your way. And when you find a piece of them in your sight, fire at will. Don't you waste no time. And out of the black, a figure forms. A soldier in the sky with a drop of love trying to set you free. These are lyrics from a song called Young Men Dead by the Black Angels, a pretty famous band out of Austin, Texas. And their music genre, as they would call it and others, is called psychedelic rock. And if you heard the song and how it was played, you would agree. The electric guitar is in this great staccato rhythm. The droning draws you in. And with the lyrics, you feel it of this battle kind of thing is happening in this song through the melody in the lyrics. And it makes you just want to take up arms in this poetic form that this band is singing in. Many argue that poetry that is most seen in our society today is through popular music. Those are the poets of our day. In poetry, what it tries to do, it communicates a message. It communicates a message that many people feel like they can't say it simply in prose, that they have to say it in an indirect way that they could be understood. It's kind of the back channel to our minds, that maybe we could draw people through these images to their hearts, to their soul, that they might engage in something they might not know how to put words to or think about. And again, musicians like the black angels and poets, they put words to these feelings. Words in poetry for love for someone or their feelings of hurt, their desire for justice, motivation for change, battling depression. Could the prophets be ancient rock musicians? <laughs> Through vivid images, staccato lyrics, rhyme and meter, they get people's attention through back channels when they are stuck. Today, we are going to see the prophet use these powerful images in poetry to get people to return to the Lord. Derek Kidner, a famous theologian, says this about chapter 11 in Hosea. It's one of the boldest of the Old Testament. He says, indeed, of the whole Bible. The boldest in exposing us to the mind and the heart of God in human terms. Could the Lord be after you this morning through the depths of these lyrics? Maybe you feel stuck. Maybe you are wandering. Maybe your life is just full of malaise. Maybe this music might move you. Well, let's look together how the prophet is calling to us to return to the Lord. Hosea chapter 11. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. 
The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. And I bent down to them and fed them. They shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king, because they have refused to return to me. The sword shall rage against their cities, consume the bars of their gates, and devour them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on turning away from me, and though they call out to the Most High, he shall not raise them up at all. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not a man. The Holy One in your midst. And I will not come in wrath. They shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion, and when he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt, and like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will return them to their homes, declares the Lord. The word of the Lord. For just joining us, welcome. We've been going through the book of Hosea. And why don't I just explain directly, if you're just a person that likes to hear in prose rather than poetry, what exactly is going on. This is the 8th century B.C. And the kingdoms of Israel have been split into two for over 200 years between Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And the northern kingdom, Israel, has drifted away from God. They have followed other gods. While they're doing very well economically, they have collapsed morally. Temple prostitution, moral compromise. And now what's happening is the political realities around them are starting to press in. And they feel the pressures of nations that are rising around them. And they have gone to other nations for help. Enter the prophets, Amos and Hosea, ones that write specifically about the northern kingdom of Israel. And they communicate, this kingdom is about to fall. You have abandoned the one that saved you, the Lord. Instead, the people of Israel saying everything is just fine. They're not listening to them at all. So what God does through the prophets, and specifically Hosea, he gives very powerful images. He has Hosea marry a prostitute to show how Israel is like a wandering wife that goes after other lovers. And how God is faithful and continues to go after in the same way that God calls Hosea to go after Gomer. He gives images of cakes that are soggy in the middle, lions that are tearing them apart, whirlwinds to get their attention. And the goal throughout this book of Hosea is return to me, return to the Lord, 
And in this chapter specifically, we have a half dozen times of the idea of God saying, return to him. The message this morning gives us images of the past, the present, and the future of returning to him. Of God's past care, current ruin for Israel, and God's unimaginable faithfulness in the future. That's how the chapter is split up into those three sections. Let's look at the past first, verses 1 through 4. And the image that God starts off with is an image of a loving father. How Israel was in its infancy as a child. And in that infancy, God loved this child. Provided for them by delivering them from slavery from Egypt. He uses the Hebrew root obey, which means deep affection. It's the word that Abraham used for his son, his only son Isaac, who he had much later in life. That's the kind of love that God is saying, I have for you, Israel. I love you like this. And he explains how children are vulnerable. It's really interesting how as humans, unlike other species, we're very vulnerable as children for a long period of time. We need months and years of care for people to feed us, to show us how to walk, to eat, to talk, to live life. It's years to be able to get to the place where we can be self-sustaining. And God is saying, that is how I was with you. I taught you to walk. I was there with you and I held you in my arms. This is how I care for you. But something has happened. Makeup, boys, phones, driver's licenses, right? Adolescence has happened to Israel. And really a lot of this passage is about how in adolescence, and even back then in Israel, how there were children that would wander from their parents and rebel against their parents. And many times there were trials about whether children were disobeying their parents or not, and there were punishments for that. This is kind of using some of that language here in this passage. And here he's saying that these are teenagers, not all teenagers this way, I'm not bashing my kids or anything like that. They say, I don't need you, mom and dad. There's no more of this tender care of them running towards you when you come home, but rather the disdain when you drop them off at school. Please don't embarrass me. But it seems to be even worse in this situation. They have not just said, I'm going away from God, but they have rebelled against God. They have gone towards other things, sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. God does a really good job of giving us an image to relate to many times parents. Parents that have children that rebel. And God is, through this imagery, in entering into the experience of maybe some parents in Israel, maybe some of us. I know it is like for children to wander. Then the images go even farther. Maybe that image is not good for you because maybe you didn't have a good relationship with 
your father or with your parents. There are wounds from your parents that still are with you. Hopefully this image, this is a father that is good, that provides care for you. He moves from the father image now to another image of being in an agriculture culture to a farmer image. He gives an image of a farmer that treats his farm animal well. Gentle reins, not a heavy yoke, not a hard bit in their mouth, but easy. That he doesn't just feed them from a trough, but instead bends down to feed them. This is not a cruel owner, but this is a farmer that sees his farm animal as a companion. Maybe even as a pet. He might have a name for it. Remember a recent story of a man that bought a pig that was just 10 to 12 inches. And he was told it was a micro pig. But what happened is the pig kept on growing. And then he went to the vet. And the vet said, you didn't buy a micro pig. This is a commercial pig. But even as the pig kept on growing, he kept him in the house. And fed him cakes and baked goods. The, the pig didn't just grow to 200 pounds like the, the vet told him, but he grew to 600 pounds. The man ended up buying a farm. We might say that's ridiculous. You know, that's what others might have said about God's care for Israel. Why do you take them in? Why do you feed them? They are animals. We might laugh at the way that people might treat their pets. I know I have a daughter that treats her lizard like it is a part of the family. Giving it birthday presents and meals and all these things. But here's the thing. God doesn't think that is silly. Silly to love us. He comes down to us and provides for us. You know, some of us are in such a bad place, it's hard to admit that there is a loving Father that cares for us. He does not guide us by whips and hard bits and burdens. But instead, his burden is light. His yoke is easy, that he bends down to feed us. And that is the kind of image he's trying to give to these people that are wandering. You know, we make claims as Christians. We make a claim that we have a loving father that loves his creation, his people. He knows you better than you know yourself. We make that claim as Christians, and some of you think that is just, might be ridiculous. Who could love me? Who cares for me? I encourage you that this might have you call out to something. To God, your claim's true. Are you really a loving father? Do you really bend down to feed your children? Have you ever dared to ask God that? 
telling you he will not leave you wanting. Return to him. For some of us, we have children and loved ones that have walked away from the Lord. God is saying, I know that pain. God is long-suffering with his people. I'm trying to encourage some of you that have been long-suffering with your children or others in your life. That you might trust him and what wisdom to say and what not to say to your kids. How to care for them and love them. And to trust in God's work in their heart and his bearing with them. Past care, current ruin, verses 5 through 7. Here he gives some very strong images that, you know, you will not return to Egypt. That's where your slavery was in the past. But now you will be taken over by Assyria. They will be your kings. And that is what comes to fruition in the very not-too-distant future. In 722, Assyria will come and take over and destroy Israel. The picture of destruction that we see here of swords and gates consumed and language of being eaten by another culture. It is true what happens. Israel is consumed by a very brutal culture of Assyria. Rather than returning, they are bent away from God. Rather than hearing the counsel of the prophets, they listen to false prophets that tell them everything is fine and good. Just continue in the way that you are. They are celebrating their current state, but here Hosea is saying graphically that there is a serious problem. In the not do distant future, you are going to be consumed by Assyria. Don't judge me, but on Thursday night, I went to the Performing Arts Center to go watch the Goo Goo Dolls on Thursday night. Yes, I know, 90s nostalgia rock, okay? It was a good time, okay? I, it was fun. Maybe you don't like the Goo Goo Dolls. It's, it's fun. It's mostly women. I'll admit that. That's fine. It's more women than men. I'm okay with that. I'll admit that too. It's fine. The lead singer sings a song. It's called Sympathy. He wrote it in a very dark place when he was trying to get sober. The lines from the song say this. And I wished for things that I don't need. And what I chased won't set me free. Everything's all wrong. Where the hell did I think I was? And then after he sings this song, Sympathy, he then sings this next song he just wrote, a song called Answers. And this is the lyric in the song. You are the answer you've been looking for. You are the answer you've been looking for. So here I am taking this all in as I'm around a lot of people that are drinking a lot, laughing at 
the sobriety that this lead singer is talking about. Singing along with lyrics of longing and pain. And given the answer that says, you are the answer. People, I mean, <laughs> not trying to bash the people at the Goo Goo Dolls concert. I was there too, right? But a crowd of people, sold out crowd at the PAC, looking for hope and looking for answers. And they are literally getting a false answer from a modern day prophet. Bent to turning away from God. That here the lead singer of this band who talks about how much pain he's in, how his drug abuse, his alcohol abuse, his marriages that have failed. No matter how bad it is, he's not going to hear from anyone else but himself. I will find my own solutions. And Hosea is saying, Israel, you will lose your sovereignty. You will lose your freedom. It will lead you to destruction unless you return to me. Maybe that's you. I'm not going to hear from anyone else. The last person I'm going to hear from is a pastor or a church or the word. I have answers to my own problems. Return to me. The Lord says, return to the one that knows you and made you and will give you true freedom. We're used to this, right? Going through Hosea, this judgment God and his judgment through the prophets. What will happen in the future? Obviously, it will just be more and more judgment. But as we move on to verses 8 through 11, we see something very, very surprising. At least some of us think it's surprising in reading in the Old Testament in Hosea. But instead, we tr see the true nature of God. How can I give you up? O Ephraim, meaning Israel, how can I hand you over, O Israel? And then he mentions two other nations that were destroyed much, much earlier, saying, that will not be true for you. My compassion will just overflow. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy you, Israel. Never going to give you up. Never going to let you down. Right? Anyone know that song? I'm into rock music today, right? I'm not going to turn my wrath upon you. Right? 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 It's, it's Rick Astley, right? The 90s deep baritone voice of never going to give you up. And what's so surprising about that song, if you didn't know what's surprising about that song, is that when you hear it, you think, oh, here's a guy from the South that's in his late 50s, probably African-American singing the song. But instead, it's a short British dude with red hair that's in his 20s, 
dancing awkwardly in a music video. And if you didn't know, it was a big thing in the 2000s. Getting rickrolled was when someone sent you an attachment, and then you open the attachment, and you get Rick Astley singing, never going to give you up, you know. That's the surprise. This is the surprise attachment. You open it up as you're reading through Hosea of chapters of judgment, and you get this. I will not execute my burning anger. And you get this line that is so good. And it needs to be seen in context. For I am God and not a man. So, okay, great. That's a great saying. No, what he's saying is, unlike mankind, I am not vindictive and vengeful and wrathful. Instead, I am full of compassion and love and care and long-term love. That is the character of God, not the character of us. Here's the narrative that I received growing up, public school, public, a private college that's not Christian. This is the narrative about Christianity. Maybe you have this narrative too. Your friends do. The Old Testament is a vindictive God. But over time, people became more primitive, you know, and more understanding. And then Jesus was invented. So you get this grace-filled God in the New Testament because we've evolved as people. This narrative continues in human history, in the Enlightenment, right? The reason that we have wars is because people take religion too seriously. Their theology and their doctrine. And then you have the French Enlightenment that says, you know what we need to do? Get rid of theological points, dogma. Don't put it in the public square. And then we'll be okay. It's a basic understanding that humanity is not in and of itself tribal or punitive. That is, in fact, religion that makes them this way. That makes them vindictive and judgmental. That's the basic understanding. Hopefully I was fair to that assessment. This passage is saying the opposite. God is saying, I am unlike humanity. I am not full of vengeance. I'm not full of retribution. I am slow to anger, abounding in love. There are not two gods of the Old Testament and New Testament. My plan was even from the beginning that from me would come this love seen most perfectly in Jesus Christ. And then we see what happened with the Enlightenment experiment in the 19th and 20th century. We saw what Napoleon did with that in the 19th century. We saw what two world wars did that moved towards secularism and moved faith out and saying, oh, atheism is just fine. I would argue our very concept, the idea that we should care for people not in our tribe, care for enemies, care for other cultures, is a value that has been given to us by 2,000 years of Christian thinking. That was not in the culture before. 
But we see even today, as the rise of secularism, not trying to use that pejoratively, as people see there is an opportunity to not believe in God, that value of care for those outside of your own tribe is dissipating. I don't need to use, I mean, I can just scroll through my Facebook page. And I see one person say, if you vote for this person, you have a zero IQ. And then the next one says, if you vote for this person, the opposite person, you only you care for the destruction of America. And I'm not exaggerating in what is being said on the post. Our nature is tribalism, destruction, and vengeance. And God is saying, that is who you are as humans. I am different. I am not a man. I am slow to anger, abounding in love, patient with you as you wander as children for hundreds of years. Douglas Stewart says it better than I do about this passage. This passage is a story of how divine disappointment is overcome by divine determination to restore a people to faith. And Jesus is the ultimate example of this being accomplished. In the book of Matthew, in the Gospels, in Matthew chapter 2, it quotes from here, Hosea chapter 11, I called my son out of, G out of Egypt, referring to Jesus Christ. You see, our Father in heaven poured his wrath upon his son so that we would receive his grace and his love, that we would not be enemies, that we would be friends, that in our rebellion, Christ died for us, the God-man. Will that love draw you to him, return you to him? told some of you a couple weeks ago, I was in St. Louis. I was with 120 of the leaders in our denomination, specifically in church planting. We got split up into different groups. And one person in my group, a group of about five guys, was a guy named Jim Bland, and he said I could share this story. That name might not mean anything to you, but it's a big name in my, my circles. Jim Bland was instrumental in uh, the church planning movement in the P PCA. And uh, he planted uh, multiple churches in Texas and then became the head of church planting in our denomination and was indirectly responsible for hundreds, if not a thousand churches being planted in North America through the, the PCA and a model for church planting for many other denominations when it was not cool and not hip to plant churches. And here he was sitting next to me. Humble man. Not braggadocious. You know, when we, the rest of us, were younger church planters, uh, shared our prayer requests, of course we talked about our churches and how God was moving and praying for our movements. No. What did he ask for for prayer? 
he asked prayer for his son, who he was going to see later that week in Atlanta. His son who had walked away from the Lord. I was intrigued after praying. I wanted to know more about this situation. So I inquired more of Jim Bland. Tell me about your son. He said, my son, he's the lead guitarist for a band called the Black Angels. The lyrics I just read at the beginning of the sermon. And the club he's playing with in Atlanta is this hardcore psychedelic rock band club that I'm going to see him play at. And he travels the world with his band, but whenever he's nearby, I always want to go see him and hear his band play. And I looked at him. Sid, you must stick out like a sore thumb. You're 82 years old. He said, I love my son. I love my son. And I hope he returns to the Lord. That I'll go to those concerts, those psychedelic concerts, and I'll be in the front rows. Because I love him. How much more does our Father in heaven love us? That he pursues us. That he is after us. That is the image that he is giving us. And one day, the remnant will return. When Babylon was destroyed and Judah returned, many from the northern kingdom of Israel came back to Judah. At Pentecost, after Jesus' resurrection, the diaspora of those that were scattered of Israelites throughout all the nations returned back to hear the fulfillment of the Spirit coming and working. That the church through the centuries, here in our own church, people from many different nations, from Germany, from Britain, from Argentina, from Africa, from all these different places would be gathered together is his promise to us fulfilled. They say a lion's roar can be heard from five miles away. The message of the gospel is a roar to the world to return to their maker. It roars at us with love to come to him. It says, come, come to my table. Come and feast with me. Come and be part of the nation of Israel, the church be in my kingdom. This is the poetry of Hosea. These are the lyrics that call to you, return to him. <laughs>